It's Wednesday, September 15th. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this is The Daily Dive. More vaccine mandates are coming to workplaces and offices, including one from the Biden administration on companies with more than 100 employees. For now, many places are just operating on the honor system where health information is given voluntarily. But some employees feel nervous because they're not sure if everyone is following the rules. Ray Smith, lifestyle reporter at The Wall Street Journal, joins us for how businesses are handling mandates so far. Next, a new study from the National Institute on Drug Abuse says that college students are smoking marijuana and using psychedelic drugs at record levels, but binge drinking a lot less. How this relates to the pandemic is unclear, but tracks as larger parties and gatherings were mostly shut down last year. Maria Luisa Paul, reporter at The Washington Post, joins us for more. Finally, the latest Roomba vacuum is packed with new artificial intelligence and cameras that can detect dog poop, snap a picture, and send it straight to your phone. The latest improvements can make it much more effective at cleaning your floors, but it does come at a cost of more of your personal data in the form of pictures and other details of your house. Dalvin Brown, innovations reporter at The Washington Post, joins us for how some of these new features concern privacy experts. It's news without the noise. Let's dive in. We're going to protect vaccinated workers from unvaccinated co-workers. We're going to reduce the spread of COVID-19 by increasing the share of the workforce that is vaccinated in businesses all across America. Joining us now is Ray Smith, lifestyle reporter at The Wall Street Journal. Thanks for joining us, Ray. Thank you. So we're seeing a lot of uh, patchwork rules for COVID-19 right now when it comes to the workplace. Rules on vaccinations, testing, masking. A lot of people are more widely going back to work. And, and you know, it's kind of different depending, obviously, on the state, city, everywhere, and even mm-hmm. the companies. Mm-hmm. So right now what we're seeing is a lot of companies urging their employees to get vaccinated, but it's largely on the honor system, whether they're checking vaccination cards, all that stuff. And, you know, for mm-hmm. a lot of people, it's uh, it's extra confusing and even concerning because, you know, you don't know if you can trust that other person sometimes. So, Ray, help us walk through this. What are we seeing out there? What we're seeing is a lot of companies relying on the honor system rather than mandating vaccines or masks. And in a way, the companies are sort of trusting their employees to be adults and responsible and honest. And the issue is that, you know, while some employees will be all those things, there are other employees, quite frankly, who who will lie because they want to get into the cafeteria or they won't because, you know, if they, t- if they say they're unvaccinated, they won't be able to eat there or something like that, or they'll be left out in general. And so as much as we want to believe that the people we work with in offices are on the same page as us and they're going to be honest and upfront, it's just not the case. And so that has a lot of employees really nervous just about whether or not their colleagues are being honest about their status or whether they're going to volunteer that. And it's one of those things that it's really kind of uncomfortable and awkward to ask your colleagues about. I mean, it just, yeah. unless it comes up in a voluntary conversation, you don't want to go around asking your coworkers, hey, are you vaccinated? And even if you do, who knows if they're going to tell you the truth or not. So it's creating this really fraught environment for people who are already at the office or people who've gotten these announcements that we're operating on an honor system. And now they're wondering whether they want to go into an office like that where they're just not sure. Yeah. And it's a weird balance for employers as well. You know, they don't want to alienate the workers that maybe choose to not be vaccinated, but it's also 
it's tougher that, you know, they don't want to enforce a mandate, right? They don't want them to quit over things like that too, because depending on the industry, it might be hard to replenish that workforce. Exactly. The, the employers are in sort of a tough spot because it's a tight labor market and they know that they could potentially alienate some people if they require in rare cases, they can also face lawsuits if they require mandates such as masks or vaccines. But the other thing is that because it has gotten also so political in some cases, whether to get vaccinated or not or wear a mask or not, some companies just don't want to, they just don't want the drama of all that. They just want to sort of play neutral in a way and encourage rather than mandate. You know, we saw President Biden announce some plans to make employers with more than, I think it's 100 employees or more than that, make them get their employees vaccinated or get tested. But the issue really is that we don't know how long that's going to take to get implemented. And in the meantime, a lot of companies are in this, and employees are in this limbo where they're being asked to come into the office under this honor system. And so what we're seeing in the public, too, is kind of different also. Obviously, there's millions of people that don't want to be vaccinated. They don't want to wear masks, all that. But when they do some of these surveys of people's, you know, whether in office work or other industries, the majority of people that answer at least those polls say that they do want their employers to mandate vaccines and mask wearing. I'm glad you brought that up because it's really interesting when you think about the fact that this is what their employees are asking for. Their employees basically are saying, we don't mind. We actually want this, <laughs> you know, mandate it. Yeah, a peace and, of mind type of thing. Yes, peace of mind. And also, some of the people that I talked to for the story, some of the um, employees, they were really hopeful that the higher-ups in general were listening or because they just felt like, this is what employees are asking you to do, and you should listen to your employees because, you know, we talked about retention earlier. Um, on the flip side of that, you know, I talked to one woman who actually quit her job when she learned that they had an honor system. And when they set their office return date, she filed her notice when she saw that memo. And so you're, you're at risk of losing people if you don't have mandates in place because people do not trust the honor system. That's another issue with employees. And I think employers probably will have to listen to employees in some cases, you know, if there's enough of a groundswell or one employee told me, the employee that I talked to from JP Morgan told me that a lot of people just chose not to come in, just to stay working from home if they could, you know, if, they, if the department could, because they did not trust the honor system. And so what you're going to have in some cases in companies is if you have this honor system out there and you have a voluntary return policy, you may find a lot of employees not coming in, just choosing to stay working from home instead. Ray Smith, lifestyle reporter at the Wall Street Journal. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. And another thing that caught their attention was that the risk that people perceive from consuming marijuana daily or regularly really decreased as well. People are seeing it less of a risky activity. Joining us now is Maria Luisa Paul, reporter at The Washington Post. Thanks for joining us, Maria. Thank you for having me. I want to talk about a, an interesting update that we we're getting out of a study funded by the National Institute on Drug Abuse. 
it's called Monitoring the Future, this study that they do. And they check in with college students and college-aged people on their habits, on their uh, drinking habits, on their drug use habits. And uh, what we saw for last year, for 2020, was that college students are reportedly using marijuana in much higher numbers, but they're drinking a lot less. So, Maria, help us walk through some of this. What are we seeing? That was one of the surprising findings that they have. As you said, they do this study every year and they collect data. And then they not only see the trends that are emerging each year, but because it's kind of like this long-term project as well, they also see the patterns, especially within young Americans. And one of the things that they saw was that binge drinking fell while marijuana use increased. And the study doesn't really address the causes behind this. It just focuses on the facts and the reporting that these people give. But it has led researchers to wonder, is there a pandemic effect here? Definitely. I mean, that's the first thing I thought. I think they conducted this between March and November. So right when there was a bunch of lockdowns, a lot of stuff was happening with the pandemic. I mean, and it tracks, right? There's not a lot of parties. There's not a lot of you know, outings even with friends. So the drinking is probably going down. But solo or small hangouts or solo things that you might do might lend itself more to marijuana smoking. So, I mean, when I was reading it, that's the first thing I thought of. The researchers really agree with what you're saying. With alcohol, it was more of a visible effect because you could really say, okay, a lot of schools went online. There were obviously less parties, less social events. And college students tend to see drinking as a social activity. So when you don't have that, you don't binge drink as much or you don't drink a lot less. And because you're in isolation, maybe marijuana is the de facto supplement there. Right. But with marijuana, it was a little bit trickier just to say, oh, this is a pandemic thing. Because for years, marijuana, like the access to it has increased with more states making it legal. And another thing that caught their attention was that the risk that people perceive from consuming marijuana daily or regularly really decrease as well. People are seeing it less of a risky activity. So according to the report, they say that 44% of college students reported using marijuana in 2020. You know, I'm always wary of these types of studies where you have to self-report. And also, I'm willing to bet that that number is probably higher. But one of the other things that we saw an increase in is students saying that they use psychedelic drugs. That was another one. A lot of psychedelics being used, it was like a four percentage point increase since last year. And this was another thing that the researchers were saying, you know, if you're in isolation and you're in this anxiety induced situation, stressful time, maybe people are seeing these kinds of drugs as a way to have an alternative reality. I wanted to go back briefly to the point that you mentioned about how more states are legalizing it recreational, but even in places where it's not legal yet, uh, where cannabis is not recreationally legal, some students have uh, either gone that way and get a medical clearance. It's pretty easy to do. I'm in California. I know that was all the rage to do. But um, there's these other kind of substitutes that they're using, too, which are called like Delta-8 and Delta-9 THC. I'm not very familiar with those. What are those? So Delta-9 THC is really the chemical compound that everyone associates with a high, with that euphoric effect that everyone kind of knows of. But there's another compound that can be derived from the hemp plant, mostly from CBD, that it's called Delta-H-THC. And because it's not as intoxicating as Delta-9-THC, and because it's sourced 
is mostly from hemp or CBD. It's like in this very gray stone legal area that I think there's gas stations where you can buy it at. Yeah. So that's what makes it a little bit more difficult. It's not as intoxicating as, you know, your regular Delta 9 THC. So people still have access to it. So what do we uh, make from all of these findings? Is, are these trends that they think are going to continue? Or, you know, I know they're tribu- trying to attribute some of it to the pandemic, but are these trends tracking over time? Now the researchers are actually collecting data for the 2021 issue of the study. So I think in this one, it'll be, they expect that you'll see like this clearer effect of how the pandemic influenced people. But one of the things that one of the researchers was telling me was, Drugs just come and go. There's different patterns and it just changes across times. You know, in the 80s, cocaine, 90s, it was heroin. Just two to three years ago, vaping was one of the biggest concerns. And this year, they actually saw like a significant drop in vaping. Right. So it just depends on how the times go and how people are perceiving these drugs. But one of the things that they might be expecting is, you know, since life is, well, not going back to normal crutches yet, but there are more college classes, more opportunities to kind of socialize with vaccines increase and all these things. Maybe drinking might go up again, but it's hard to say at the time. Maria Luisa Paul, reporter at The Washington Post. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you for having me. We want to make your life easier. That's the whole point of what we do. We designed a new front-facing camera, a wedge-to-tech bumper. It recognizes when there's obstacles. It avoids them and keeps on cleaning. Joining us now is Dalvin Brown, innovations reporter at The Washington Post. Thanks for joining us, Dalvin. Yeah, for sure. I wanted to talk about a, a fun article you wrote. You know, we've been seeing a lot of huge technological leaps when it comes to robots and artificial intelligence recently. You made mention in the article, we see videos constantly of Boston Dynamics uh, robots doing parkour all over the place. We saw that robot shooting shots from half court at the Olympics, making the shots each time that he, that he did it. But in the home right now, what we're seeing is a lot of improvements when it comes to cameras and again with the artificial intelligence. And, you know, everybody knows that Roomba little kind of robot thing that goes around and sweeps the floors for you and everything. Right now, they have a newer version. It's the Roomba J7 Plus that can actually scoot around the house and identify dog poop and kind of go around it. It'll take a picture for you and send it to your phone just so you know that it's there and everything. But with all of this stuff, increases in in pictures and all that stuff, there's always costs from privacy and uh, concerns about it. So, Dalvin, what are we seeing here with this thing? What's really interesting is, you know, people are we're constantly worried about, you know, our devices listening in on us, but we don't often stop and think about what data of our home vacuum cleaner might be might be picking up on. Um, and so that's what I was wanting to look into. And so the new Roomba has an AI camera that can see your floor, and there are certainly privacy implications whenever there's a camera looking around in your home. And yeah, it, it, the company seems to have done a pretty good job at at least putting in some guide, um, some guides into the Roomba so it'll turn off whenever there's a human in front of it. So it won't take pictures of people. But yeah, still experts say that you should always think about what's happening to your data and what might be happening with smart devices in your home. 
So this new vacuum is $849. That is pretty pricey for a Roomba. But what does the company say as far as the data collection and, and all that? Do they keep the photos? You know, what do they do with that? So you have to opt in to send any photos to the company. So if you're one of those people that just clicks yes to everything just to, you know, get through the setup process, you might want to take your time and, and think about what you're saying yes to. But yeah, certainly if you opt in to sending photos to the company, any pictures that the Roomba does take can be sent to them. They'll be encrypted and sent to the company where staffers will unencrypt them and then compare those images to pictures in its database. And the purpose is to make these vacuum cleaners more accurate over time, right? So if you're, if vacuum cleaners are seeing things around your home that perhaps the company didn't bake into its AI, then they can learn that and, and address the software accordingly. But yeah, Roomba stresses that they do not sell people's data and nor do they have access to it unless you opt in. Everything is stored on the device. And the company also says that all it saves in the cloud are line drawings of your home that just kind of tell the robot where your table is or where your yeah. couch is. That way, if you get a new one, you can just update it and it already already knows your home. The headline obviously catches the eye, you know, that robot vacuums are learning to avoid dog poop. And I guess in the past, you know, they might have picked it up and smeared it around all over the place. So this is a, a good improvement. You know, I'm not saying it isn't. And the company had to build a bunch of models of pet droppings and everything to train the algorithm so they can keep out of it. But it's not just iRobot and Roomba. There's other vacuums that are have other capabilities too. Uh, you know, live streaming and all sorts of stuff like that. So Samsung also has an AI-powered vacuum cleaner. It's even more expensive. I think thirteen hundred dollars, but it has a set of eyes that can see around your home. And iRobot and Roomba did revolutionize the home smart vacuum cleaning space. And over time, it won't be surprising to see other companies slapping more AI cameras onto vacuum cleaners as it, as it becomes the standard. Right. And I mean, and this is the trend. This is what we've been seeing for some time now. As the technology gets better, they pack it into possibly anything that they can mm -hmm. at the home. Uh, what was it that they called it? The Internet of Things, right? How connected yeah. your smart home could be. Everything from your fridge to your water faucet now. You know, everything is connected. But so this is the trend. We're going to start seeing more of these types of things and improvements with artificial intelligence and, and more cameras everywhere. And it's not even that it's just connected. It's also that, OK, well, now that things are connected, what's next? OK, let's make devices smarter. Let's make devices know more or infer more about their owners. iRobot has a vision for its vacuum cleaners to be able to do a lot more, eventually strapping an arm onto it so it might be able to pick things up on the floor. But it's important to remember that with all the convenience also comes some privacy concerns yeah. that, that we, should all, we should all think about. Dalvin Brown, innovations reporter at the Washington Post. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for having me. That's it for today. Join us on social media at Daily Dive Pod on both Twitter and Instagram. Leave us a comment, give us a rating, and tell us the stories that you're interested in. Follow us on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you get your podcast. This episode of The Daily Dive is produced by Victor Wright and engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and this was your Daily Dive.